1: That's the thing about fiction is that like you can draw so much out of it like you can hear the same story at different points in your life and it just gives you something different or you bring something different to it every time you hear the story so these stories that have endured thousands of years like and have been retranslated and all of that like of course like the true part of it is what what carries through my name is Justin Roof, and I am a modern minority.
0: Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different.
1: I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
0: And I'm Raman Seckle, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
1: Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories,
0: perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority.
1: This is a show about all of you, for all
0: of us. On today's show, we're talking to Justin Root, an artist, designer, educator, and creator. Justin paints murals and signs. He draws comics and illustrates books. Justin is the co-creator and artist for Less Desolate, a new comics haiku project he brought to life with poet Yi Pai. In that episode, when Yi brought up that she was working on a haiku comics, Sharon immediately said that I would love it, and Yi was kind enough to introduce me to Justin, and boy, I'm glad she did. Justin's such a kind and thoughtful soul, an artist who you can really just see his character coming through in his work, where he mixes traditional Mexican art, comics, and album covers. Ranging from people to nature to food, Less Desolate is just a really powerful piece of work that I only just finished reading a couple of hours ago uh, as Justin sent me an advance copy. But I already know that I want this book on my bookshelf. I, I Honestly, I plan to buy more than a few copies for a few friends out there. Uh, I promise that's not like a plug, uh, but just don't tell my wife because she gets really mad at me when I buy too many books. Look, I'm not going to lie, from time to time, the production that is this modern minorities podcasting is just really draining and tiring. And it's getting harder and harder for Sharon and I to actually make the time to do this together. And, and so we're, we're flying solo from time to time, like with this one, or airing episodes from other podcasts, just to kind of keep the content coming every week. But honestly, when we get introduced to and get to know folks like Shinye and like Justin, it reminds us of why we do this show. So um yeah, I, I think you're really going to love this conversation with my new friend, Justin. Justin, welcome to the pod. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, Justin, um, we got introduced by a mutual friend and former guest, Shin Ye, but I guess what people really want to know is, where are you from?
1: Well, I was born in California, in Whittier, and I grew up in Ohio. Well, do you ever get the question, where are you really from? Oh boy, <laughs> where am I really from? <laughs> I don't know. How do people answer that? Yeah, uh, my father is from Mexico and my mother is, um, mostly European. So, uh, if the, if the point of the question is try to determine my ancestry, that's, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where I grew up in Ohio, that was never a friendly question.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't need to unpack kind of the baggage that comes with that question, but to this day, I actually get into more trouble with that question when I hang out with friends from Alabama and say, we're either overseas or, you know, traveling somewhere on a camping trip or something. And people ask, where are you from? And, you know, obviously, you have to get to the Indian thing. Sure. I always say I'm from New York and my friends from Alabama get really upset. It's not that I've disowned it. I, you know, my parents are still there and everything, but. I don't know. I think about that a lot, too. You know, my, my wife and kids, we're here now. Like, I pay taxes here. Yeah, I'm from, I've been here longer than, the only place longer was Alabama. But like, my identity is wrapped up in where I'm at right now. For
1: sure. And I and I feel, I don't know, I feel kind of similar in that, um, well, I don't know, I've kind of moved around a lot. Like, I've moved up and down the coast. So there's a couple places in California that I feel like, okay, that's home. And then I'll go somewhere else and think, okay, that's home. But, you know, right now I'm living in Oregon. But I don't know, growing up, okay, so my dad's Mexican, my mom's Caucasian, and I always kind of felt like there were people who would kind of look at me and they could kind of tell like, oh, you're some kind of something, but I can't tell. And so, you know, and so it's always just kind of like a way of trying to suss
0: it out. The other day I was at work, uh, my office is in in New York City, and uh, I was riding the elevator up and a UPS guy comes on. He was also not white, but you know, I'm I'm already on the elevator, um, and I'm like, hey, what uh, what floor? And he's like, ocho, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I I'm Asian. Yeah, <laughs> but I was like, it's okay, you know, I I, and I actually wonder if I would have been like less okay with it, if he was white. Like I I don't know. It's kind of the world we live in. We're all some shade of something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I don't know. I feel like that there was um, there's this time in your life like in your teens and maybe into your early 20s it's easy to get very defensive about that sort of thing and i think that as you get older i don't know if it's people just stop being interested or you know it just just doesn't is it's just not an issue anymore it, um it's funny i was um i was in washington and i was at, state on dc oh no no yeah uh, washington state i was uh, teaching some classes up up there and i started to have a couple of encounters where these old feelings from high school started coming back up for me. And I was like, wow, what is this? Um, And I I just started to realize that, like, it was this feeling of just being a total outsider, just being, like, totally othered. So, yeah, that was an
0: experience. Well, I want to dig into that, because, I mean, yeah, every once in a while, either it's a dream or even, like, a social situation where I I have those same social-emotional flashbacks to the time when I didn't, have as much of a grip on things you know my own security so to speak for sure what were some of those moments where you you did feel kind of othered as was it in high school was it as a little kid are there are there any stories or kind of things that you can reflect on
1: well for sure um so i went to high school in centerville ohio it's suburb of dayton it's really high performing school um it's a really good public school and um i was in you know um like advanced math classes Uh, My parents got divorced when I was 13, and I ended up moving to Moraine, which was like GM factory town. Um, You know, uh, I was in the next grades, like from instead of 10th grade, I was in the 11th grade math classes, and it was still kind of like lower than where I was in my 9th grade math classes. And it was just like a real like culture shock. And I got you know, kids were fighting every day at that school, and I just remember like just people coming up, you know, with that question, like, "Where are you really from?" Because <laughs> like,
0: because a pretty white town, right? I mean, I know I know that part of Ohio pretty well.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah it is, it is, and um, but at the same time, so I used to fly back and forth between Ohio and California basically every summer. Uh, my brother and I started flying at like six years old, unaccompanied.
0: Because mom and dad are separate now at this point, right?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. But even then, like we were going out there to visit our grandparents because my dad's from Los Angeles. And so we'd go out and, well, actually both of my parents, that's where they met, was in California. So her family's out there, his family's out there. So we would fly out there every summer. I always kind of like, I would have moments where I felt like I was too Mexican when I was in Ohio and I would feel like I was too white when I was, you know, hanging out in Boyle Heights. I mean, there's a part of it where you feel very like in the culture and you feel very like, this is who I am. But there's always like, there's always that, that space for like, you know, I've had family members who are like, you know, they'll, they'll make a comment like, yeah, some of us are Mexican or something like that, you know, and kind of like push me out just a little bit. And then, you know, growing up in Ohio, I would just, High school, I had kids come up to me like, "What are you supposed to be?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, um, for me, it's like like identity has always been something that I I I just I don't know. I was not super comfortable with it throughout my teen years, and even now, it's like. I've been to Mexico with my grandmother, we went to the city where she lived, and I went to the place where my grandparents met, and I've done all this, and I start to feel more of a connection with it. Um, And when she was alive, we used to talk in Spanish, but now that she's passed, I feel like I'm losing that, that ability. You know, it's just the the language is going for me, and... um I don't know that that kind of way of thinking about my identity isn't so present in my mind anymore except you know if I'm like doing a a bio for an art application or something like that or like a grant application It's the only time that I that I really think about it well okay maybe that's not true I think about like cultural things like you know day of the dead and stuff like that like holidays and like when the family gets together yeah
0: well I I think it's Being mixed race or even feet in two worlds, like my dad is an immigrant from India who spent the majority of his life in Alabama now, right? He left in his 20s. When you have your feet in both worlds, you're unmoored and you have to find these anchors. be it Diwali, Day of the Dead, a family gathering. But even in those moments, I find like that's where I'm the most insecure about my identity. Like the in-between moments, I'm pretty comfortable now, if that makes sense, when I'm at work, when I'm doing this podcast. Yeah. I know who I am. But it, mm-hmm. when I do the Diwali presentation at my daughter's school, or I go to a big Indian event, or the first, or se- actually the second time I went to India with my dad, where my dad is the quintessential Indian man, right. but to all of our family and all the people there, he was the American, you know? And yeah. I actually think it's, we're unmoored all the time, and I think we're comfortable being unmoored, but yeah. I think it's those moments, those anchor points is where I think the identity come rears its ugly head a little
1: I That's think. a really nice way to put it yeah i I would agree with that um certainly, you know, when I'm in Mexico and we're going to church and everyone's speaking Spanish, and you know all this like I certainly don't feel like this isn't really my community, you know like i'm not I'm not really in on this one, but
0: um yeah I, you know the thing um I have a lot of issues with America, but I'm proudly American because all of us to a certain degree, depending on how many generations back but even my dad me my daughter who's and son who are you know half Indian half Chinese I think we all have a little bit of that in us in this country I think a lot of us do I should say for sure for
1: sure I mean I you know so I mean I know we're going to talk about comics but um,
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: I there are a couple of comics that um that I've read where I'm starting to notice more of Biracial characters, biracial writers, like yeah. people who are really speaking to like being biracial, and it just seems like I mean, it just seems like eventually you know most people are going to be bi, tri, quad racial. You
0: know, like it's just kind of the way we are. You know, we're all kind of just coming together. Well, I mean, that's kind of America, right? Like even like the whitest white person is a quarter Irish, oh for sure, yeah. Polish, and that, that was an issue back then. Yeah, right. And again, that's what I I got to ask. I mean, we're gonna let's talk comics, but. First question, what are some of those comics that come to mind? And then, and then I want to ask about your use in comics.
1: Okay, so I was not I so Spider-Man has been my guy since I was a little kid. My mom used to work at Stop and Go. She would bring home like back when you can buy comic books at the gas station. Yeah, she'd bring home Spider-Man all the time. So so I followed Spider-Man for years and years and years and then when uh, Brian Michael Bendis did that run on yeah he yeah. did the ultimate well he did yeah he did the run on the ultimate spider-man where you where you um spoiler alert peter parker dies i
0: cried, <laughs> cried. yeah yeah and it was so good it was so good it was such a good run on that comic well, i want to i want to step the stage for the for the audience really quick so in the late 90s marvel rebooted spider-man in this like pocket universe where because peter parker's been around since the 60s and in the regular comics he's like a 30 year old divorced teacher right but And we're like, okay, let's make Peter Parker a teenager again, instead of being a photographer, he's a web editor. And they had the same writer-artist team for like five years. And you're watching Peter go through high school month to month. Mm -hmm. And I I actually reread the entire Ultimate Spider-Man run a couple months ago for my other podcast with with Ryan, Quarantine Comics. And you become so emotionally invested in this version of Peter. Like, if you're emotionally invested in Tom Holland in the MCU, like, Bendis's Peter is as real a person as I feel you feel like you know him. And Justin, to your point, he died. And I think you're going to what happened after he died.
1: Oh, well, yeah. It was so cool. It was so cool. Cause I mean, first of all, you gotta, you have to mention that Brian Michael Bendis, like the way he writes characters, he's a hundred percent about relationships. Like he's just so good at, like, if you like soap operas, if you're into X Men, like that kind of stuff, if that's what you're looking for is characters, like he's bringing it. And after he died, which, you know, like you, it sounds like we both loved the Peter Parker Spider-Man and that Ultimate Comics Spider-Man run was just awesome. But it continues for, I don't know how many issues, 10s, 20s, where Spider-Man dies and then Miles Morales takes over as Spider-Man and he's like the the uh, mixed ethnicity character. Um, and it's just so cool because it's like... Half black, half
0: Afro-Caribbean. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so everything that happened to Peter essentially happens to Miles but with completely different outcome and a different perspective you know like when he reveals to his girlfriend that you know I'm Spider-Man it's like oh no he told that information to the completely wrong person
0: (laughs) and I think most people have seen Into the Spider-Verse where you know the focus was on Miles and I make the argument that not just in comics I think Miles Morales is one of the most important new characters of the last 20 to 50 years. kamala khan of the not a close second might be at the same level
1: yeah you know when when you first started talking about spider-man i was thinking you know uh miss marvel has totally picked up that early spider-man teenage year kind of energy yeah but told it from another perspective which i i think is awesome um i know that there there were a lot of people like you know um I don't really know what Comic Skate is because I don't get real <laughs> involved in like Reddit or anything online, you know, where people are discussing comics, but I love reading the comics. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, after Miles, uh, Brian Michael Bendis also brought out Ironheart and mm-hmm. they are starting to bring in, in more characters who didn't look like what we were getting for the last 50 years, 75 years of Mark.
0: Clark Kent, Bruce Waynes, the Peter Parker. Exactly. Right. And um
1: and I loved all of them, like Ironheart, like that new Marvel. Right, yeah, yeah, that new Marvel movie that's coming out. Like I, I I'm not real super big on the Marvel movies, but in the comics, Ironheart is rad, dude. Like she found a broken piece of the Iron Man suit and like reverse engineered it to build a new like that's a cool story. And then Tony Stark is the AI. Like
0: <laughs> Yeah, I and we're noting out pretty hard here, but it's there's something to be said. Even I like that were starting to look like America but even um, you know I left comics for a while and I came in, the, uh, in high school because you know you kind of fell, fall out of love with the commercialization of Superman 75 and all the foil covers and stuff and I came back for writers like Mark Wade mm-hmm. and Brian Bendis and uh,
1: for me in the 90s like I had very little interest in what Marvel and DC were doing yeah, like I yeah. might pick up a Spider-Man here and there but like for me it was all about indie comics in the 90s like Everything, like Slave Labor, um, even Image. I think DC Vertigo was a thing back then. So, like, they had started. Yeah. Um, Top Cow for me was kind of the same stuff as what DC and Marvel were doing, essentially. But there was so many indie comics. And, like, like uh, oh, man, back then I was reading Straight Bullets. It became very obvious that that was something that you didn't have to be Marvel to do. Like, it was so punk rock back then. Like, everyone was just
0: making comics, you know? <laughs> well, I, th- I think that it's something I say every time I air one of our Quarantine Comics episodes on this Modern Minorities podcast is comics aren't superheroes. It's just, for the longest time, it kind of became synonymous with it, but comics are this storytelling medium that you can go into any genre and any style, and there's something about, there's literally two mediums that I'm the most in love with from a consumption standpoint and a, and a creation standpoint. It's It's comics and podcasting because you strip away something right like a lot of podcasts are going to video but i prefer audio and you know we've got cameras off so we can have a longer conversation comics i don't need sight sound and motion you need sequential art because your brain fills in the things you bring yourself into reading that story
1: for sure i mean i've always kind of felt like i mean you and i have read enough uh marvel and dc stuff just like you know how they hijack stories with their crossover events and like the big summer thing it's like it's a repeating
0: pattern yeah you can see the them
1: yeah and it's just it. it You know, it it gets frustrating. Like they chase away longtime readers. To me, it's always been like there is so much in comics, and like to judge it by superhero, it's like judging all television off of soap operas. You know, it's like or reality TV. Yeah, exactly. It might be fun. You might like it, but I mean, there's people
0: doing something different also. (laughs) So I want to ask. Obviously, we have. We could both kind of like go toe to toe on celebrity nerd, comic book Jeopardy. <laughs> At some point, you made the leap. You know, I went, I stuck it out, and you know, got the business degree and yeah, do the tech startup stuff. You started making. When did when? And again, I was drawing. Like, and Dad said, don't go to art school, and all of these things, right? Like, but when in your mind, what what did you want to be when you grew up, or, or what did your parents want you to be? And when did comics and art kind of come into that? You know, my parents
1: were. um I actually talked to my dad about it recently. He was just like, well, I just kind of hoped you were happy. Just kind of hope for the best, you know, like, (laughs) because there were times where I felt like, you know, a little guidance would be nice, um, but I don't know. My parents divorced when I was 13. I got in a lot of trouble at school. You know, I would never do my homework. I'd skip detentions. I'd get Saturday school. I'd skip those as well. So they would give me like a suspension and... Eventually, they started giving me in school suspension. So there was this little like broom closet that I would sit in, and I had a two way mirror so that they can look in. And I would just sit. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no,
0: really quick. So just hang on, listening to your voice, you know, this kind of soothing NPR artist vibe. <laughs> and I'm hearing about this kid in a Harry Potter closet with a one way mirror. Dude, I, you know, my thing is like, okay,
1: so I, I had a problem with authority, I guess, when yeah. I was a kid. And it's just like, I don't know, they taught me so much in that school unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, So this was like, what, sixth, seventh grade, I had a principal who did not like me at all. And I had a bad attitude. So, you know, I can't really... And exacerbate him. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, you know, they would say, you know, Justin, we don't understand why you're not doing your homework. And I would just, I don't see the point. Like, give me the test. If you want to see if I know this material, just test me, you know, because I'm not going to, I just didn't want to do my homework, you know? Um, but it wasn't like I didn't like to work because I've, you know, I'm obsessive about work. It's just I didn't want to do that. And that kind of like got me into a power struggle with my principal back in school. And that's when they started putting me in my little broom closet. But I just sit there and read and draw. And I was totally content to be left alone all day and get some work done. So through that, I finally got a teacher for my English class that was just like, you know, why don't we just teach towards where the aptitude is? So she had me start drawing comics for like English class for my book reports. I would just like, I redid the, um, I was reading like the Narnia books back then. So that was the first comic I ever drew was like a a retelling of one of the Narnia comics for my English class in high school.
0: To pick on Narnia for a minute, like, how um, overt did you make the, the the religious references as you were, because, you know, it's one thing to like veil it in words and you have to read between the lines and see the symbolism. I've read enough graphic adaptations and, and I recognize you were in middle school, but like, were you kind of doing a literal scene by scene or were you trying to like put something into it? You know,
1: honestly, religion is something that has always captured my imagination. Just like, I am so fascinated with the things that people believe and, and not just like, you know, uh, traditional, like supernatural stuff like, Anything having to do with like a connection to spirit or quest or searching for spirit, like that kind of stuff. Like I've always been fascinated with that kind of thing. So I don't know that necessarily I was, I don't know, you can kind of get that kind of like Christian vibe from Narnia. I don't know if I was getting everything back then, but you know, um, yeah I don't know how strong I was going in that, but I, you know back then I was reading I read the Bible, I read the Book of Mormon I like I was just like anything that was like as that I could get my hands on some sort of like religious text, I was into
0: it and is it because of the sto- is it because of the story because there's so much joseph Campbell hero's journey in almost all the major world, world religions, whether it's jesus muhammad krishna you know it it exists there yeah, I think I just had a lot of questions, you know, I had a
1: lot of I don't know, I think that part of it was that I was searching, part of it was that I was curious, and part of it was just like, boy, this is just like D and D
0: for grown-ups, yeah, you know? <laughs> <Just> like this, <laughs> you know? I, I feel I mean <laughs> because I was raised Hindu, but growing up in a largely white Christian society, temple was like the side thing, you know, spoken in a language sung in songs that I didn't understand. I knew the words too, but I didn't know the words I was singing so much, right? Yeah, whether you sing about Ram or Krishna. And at the same time, reading the Fantastic Four in the Justice League, and in my head, Green Arrow and Hawkeye are teaming up with Krishna, because they're all archers, <laughs> right? And it's funny, there's this guy, Sanjay Patel, a Pixar artist who recently did a short about that, like, exact same thing. And they're just kind of rad stories. And again, I, uh now, I'm kind of, I've lost my religion, I'm in between, and I, I've traveled the world, and I've been to mosques, I've been to temple. And I I just kind of see that, like, there, and I can see the real storytelling appeal of these things.
1: For sure, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of exciting stories in there. I just remember when I was a kid. So my parents weren't. They didn't take me to church. They weren't real. They weren't religious. They didn't practice. But my grandmother took it super seriously, and you know, she baptized me when I was out in California at her church, and. She would take me to church and they spoke Spanish. My grandmother didn't speak English or she kind of did, but not really. And I would tell her through my aunt who would have to translate all this, that like, I don't like going to church. I don't understand what they're saying. And my grandmother was just like, you just have to be there and you just have to be thinking about God. And so that's what I would do. I would sit there and I would think about God and I would look at all these awesome stained glass windows and I'd like, like start to develop this curiosity about these stories about these people who were like it looked like they were doing some cool stuff in some of these pictures and they were just beautiful like that honestly like that Mexican Catholic art like when I see Frida Kahlo and I see those color palettes like I see that same kind of influence and I definitely like like that's what I lean into when I'm doing stuff in color like I love
0: like, all of that, like, that
1: stuff has definitely made a deep impression on me.
0: I think religion can be a beautiful thing, and I, I hear you, man. Like, when done right, it's this beautiful thing that carries people, right? It, I, I think I've said this before, like, a thousand years from now, they're not going to remember Britney Spears or the Beatles. Well, maybe the Beatles, but <laughs> the stories of the apostles, of the saints, of the prophets, yeah, of the many demigods inside of many of the other religions, right? The stories are going to carry, right? And maybe it's because they've been tra- the stories have been translated into so many mediums—stained glass, pop culture, even metaphor, right? Like Superman's a freaking metaphor for Moses. So
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing about fiction is that, like, or you know, just stories in general is just like you know, you can draw so much out of it. Like, you can hear the same story at different points in your life, and it just gives you something different or you bring something different to it every time you hear the story. So these stories that have endured thousands of years, like and have been retranslated and all of that, like of course, like the things that like the true part of it is, I feel like what what carries through.
0: I have to ask, I read somewhere, it might have been a conversation viewing your collaborator Yi that you view yourself as an artist who works in comics, not as a comics artist. Can you unpack
1: that a little? Yeah, sure. Uh, so back to an earlier question that you are asking me kind of about my journey is that um, when I got out of high school, I started uh, working in arts education pretty much right away. I started doing a couple of little murals here and there when I was living in Long Beach. But it really when I moved up to Portland, Oregon, that's when... My art career kind of became my main job. And um, I don't know, I just have always looked at like my journey as like trying to figure out ways for me to get paid in order to learn the skills that I wanted to acquire. So I just started painting signs for the grocery store. I'd come in in the middle of the night and I changed the mural in their produce department. Um, And at the time, you know, um, chalk art started becoming like a marketing trend in grocery and produce. And for me, I love painting produce. I love painting fruits, vegetables, flowers, all of that stuff. Like I just think it's so easy to make it look beautiful and it's fun to do and I can crank them out pretty fast at this point. So when I was working there, the grocery store would pay for me to do like Online learning, like masterclass, Skillshare, all of that stuff. So anything that I was interested in learning about, I had the resource. They paid for all of my art materials. So anything that I wanted to like, anything I wanted to pursue, I could. And, you know, and it was the same story when I was working in education. When I was in um, California, I was working for the uh, music center in Los Angeles and I was working for dramatic results in Long Beach. And they put me through all these trainings with like amazing professional artists. And I just like my whole life, I've just anywhere where I can find mentorship, I go hard in that direction. Just learn as much as I can. And if I can do it as a job and get paid for it, then all the better, you know. My whole approach has always been say yes to things that you feel pretty much like you could probably do. (laughs) And then when it's when it's go time, like, learn it. Yeah, you'll figure it out. I mean, to actually, like, why I don't consider myself a, a comics artist, because, like, I know people who work in comics and that's their thing. And it's like, you know, they might pick, like, lettering or color or whatever it is, and they just, like, that's the thing that they're on that's their you know like that's the job that they do is
0: it's a job job right
1: exactly and for me it was like the first comic book i ever did uh was brother crow i mean not counting the one i did in high school but the one that i actually did and tried to sell to people Mm -hmm. um was brother crow that was like at the end of the day working as a sign painter at the grocery store i find creative work energizing like i didn't feel drained I know there are other artists that are like, oh, I don't want to paint when I get home. But like, I would have ideas for scenes. And as soon as I got home, I'd be drawing pages.
0: I have to ask, well, we have to talk about this. Like, So we talked to Shiny about her podcast. And then she found out that, you know, I'm into comics. And she she mentioned Less Desolate, this this haiku comics project that her and you collaborated on. It's it's so interesting. I mean, it's this, um it's obviously it's not kind of a narrative comic, although there is a narrative art to it, having just read it, but it's literally kind of illustrated the haikus, almost comic strip style, but not I wasn't sure what to make of it when I heard about this, and then you know, it's it's funny. Like, you can read a really long article in The Economist or The Guardian, and you can power through it. Like we're trained to read quickly. But some of these pages, man, I don't know if I should thank you or curse you. Like, are lingering with me. Like, it would take me probably five minutes to get through two pages because of kind of what I was sitting through. Uh, and that's a good thing, right? That's a compliment. But um right. What what drew you to this project? I, I, I Explain kind of why is this appealing to you? Can you, can you unpack
1: oh, there is the so much for me to say. Like, honestly, I love everything that you're saying about this. Um, for me, like, I've spent so much time with these poems. And they're haiku, so you know, like how long does it take to read a haiku? How long does it take to read a comic? like I used to joke with one of my friends who makes comics. It's like, yeah, one year to draw, ten minutes to read. yeah' they're like, yeah, yeah. but um, there's a few things first of all, I mean, I knew that when Shanyi was on your show uh with the other host, and I also saw her on um Like AM Northwest or something, whatever the Seattle Good Morning America local news show is, she was on there, and in both instances, the hosts seem to have this experience that I had when I met Shani, and that was just like she makes you feel inspired. Like this is somebody who, like, as soon as you meet her, you just want to make art. Like she's just, I don't know if it's her uh, because of her, you know, the the teacherness of her or just her personhood, but like. She she lights people up. And when I met her and I read her poetry and it spoke to me, I knew instantly that I wanted to work with her. Like I don't know what capacity we're gonna work together in, but I know that I want to work with her. And she told me that she had just taken some classes with David Lasky in Seattle doing haiku comics. And I have been looking for a collaborator specifically for comics. But I wanted to work with somebody who wanted to do something completely different than what was out there. I think that, like, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with superhero comics. But it just seemed like if I'd go to, like, a comic meetup or, you know, connecting artists with writers, like, so many people were just interested in, like, doing what's already out there. And it's just like, you know... If you wanted to do your take on Spider-Man, there's somebody else that you could hire who's going to do that job and be a lot happier doing it than me. But the things that Shani and I were able to connect on or that we had in common, like we both are into like spiritual practice. We both um, are really into like uh, like the magical kind of stuff. Like all of those kind of like, uh, like uh, we were calling them like the witchy poems in the in the collection. Like those are the ones that we get really excited about. So for me, she was just like a dream collaborator, you know, like I liked the text and just like on a personal level, like we've kind of developed a friendship and she's just so easy to work with. It's just like any feedback or anything that like it always seems like she's coming from the right point of view, like she's coming from the right place where it's like, you know, sometimes I've worked with clients where, you know, they like from for sign painting. They're, they're asking you to do this and do that or include this include that and you know it's like well i don't know if that's the i mean i I can do kind of what you're asking for but as the expert i'm going to try to gear you away from that but like it's not like that with Shinji. She she's such an easy person for me to work with like our personalities just work together so well
0: you know i um there there is something to be said about when you see an a writer and an artist working well together because they're both storytellers and to bring it back to Brian Michael Bendis, I you know, as I've begun to work on something I'm working on, you know, I read he he teaches a class, I believe, in Portland on creation of comics and he's published a book. So I bought a copy and I read it. And part of like the writing process is for the artist, if that makes sense. And um mm-hmm. and again, I, I know what this book, Less Desolate, does, is very different from so much, not just of comics and narrative superheroes, but even other graphic novels out there and it's not just a poetry book it's not just a haiku book i guess the question haiku comics are similar but different to the ongoing like narrative sequential art storytelling of comics and graphic novels yeah even though there is clearly a larger arc going on with shingi's experience through the pandemic walk me through the process like how much of this is her vision your vision how much did you find yourself learning and kind of collaborating yeah yeah what was this
1: well you know it- a lot of it, a lot of it for me was, so my approach to painting signs, even in commercial spaces, is always about like, really what I'm trying to do is connect people with themselves, with each other, with me. Um, so, you know, like I, I always want to put in there like, just something about like, you know, look up, notice, you know, trust yourself. That sort of like'm I'm, I'm always trying to connect with people through the art even stuff that I do commercial and uh, for this comic project like I approached it very much like the way I would approach sign sign painting it's just like I'm trying to lead you through this series of text from one end to the other um, and incorporate art that is going to like either enhance it or you know somehow change it a little bit. So in to answer your question about um how much of it was Shizune's vision and how much was like I would get I would get notes from her that said like uh you know like she would give me like the panel description of what she wanted on such and such a page and sometimes it would be like super specific it would be like a shy looking worm emerges from behind a leaf or something like that um and other times the description would be a quiet moment of Zen, you know? And so it would just be like wide open to how I would interpret that. And if I wanted to go like completely off of what she was proposing as her, as her idea for what the panel might look like, like she was always very encouraging for me to like, just go wild, you know, just go somewhere away from what she had envisioned. And so sometimes it, it just worked out that way. So for the for the book, we also did a um Rizzo book that had some of the poems that didn't make it into the less desolate book just because for like thematically didn't quite fit or whatever reason. And there were also poems that did make it into the book that
0: I did like an alternate version for with the art. <laughs> so I have one process. Like, was this, you know, unfolding like Day to day, were the haikus coming out every day and you had to challenge it, or were you getting batches of 10 that you had to work with? Like,
1: what was the rhythm? Okay. So when we first, when we first started working together, uh, she gave me maybe four or five poems that she drew the pictures for, which are still, you know, I wish I had the physical copy because I absolutely love the drawings that she did for her poetry, vastly different than what's in the book. But Man, uh, when like we started talking about doing the book, almost right
0: away, as soon as she told me that, like, I knew that I wanted to work with her. This happened. I mean, because the beginning of the book is the beginning of the pandemic. So is this like March, April when this happens? Um, We met
1: through Twelfth and Valley Arts program, and so I want that was during the pandemic when we actually met. I think we met in twenty twenty. And she had already written a few haiku and or she shared with me a few haiku. And then when we talked about doing the project, she sent me this file that just like had a a lot of haiku in it. And I just kind of at that time, I would just kind of cherry pick the ones that were really jumping out. Like I, if I had a picture for it immediately, I would just draw that and send it to her. And then, you know, at that time we were like just publishing them like magazines or online or something like that we'd publish them here and there I think we had the idea that it would eventually come together into a collection at some point so I had the majority of those poems at the very beginning but she continued writing so she would send me poems as she wrote them and at some point we got together with the publisher, Blue Cactus
0: Press, and then the two of them decided on the order of what the comics would be. Well, because there is there is like an at there are points in it where you do feel like you're on a narrative. Obviously, Xinyi's travels, protests in China, followed by white nationals' protests in America. There's a thematic order. You could feel the you could feel the rhythm of it as you were being through it.
1: Yeah. And so specifically those ones that you just brought up. Those ones were so the, it's kind of like in the second half of the book, so at the beginning, I was just kind of jumping around, but at a certain point, you got to do the work. So I just had them all numbered, and I just started everything that wasn't done from the very top all the way to the very bottom, and I just kind of worked through from the beginning to the end. so although I I, I mean, I know what you're saying about it being kind of like like that connective through line going from beginning to end um, and it was something that I thought about but I always knew that the poems could be moved around like if, if they wanted to
0: change the order for whatever reason it could happen well there's an evergreen quality to it I'm almost reminded of like really good sketch comedy you could pull any one of these pages out and put it on the wall and it would be standalone um, in fact I, I, I was reading a digital copy I can't wait to get my like hard copy Cause I want to dog ear some of these pages. <laughs> like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to get the hard copy. I, I love the way that the book
1: turned out. Like, I think it looks so cool and it's like, it's hefty too. Um, I got the, yeah. I got the printer's galley. So I don't have the actual book yet. And I sent the printer, uh, the, the galley back to Shiny, but it's, I'm so proud of it. Like, it just looks so cool. And, um, so yeah, I'm excited for you to have your own physical copy of it and, 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 I actually have um, on my wall. I've got one of the first poems that we did together. Um, the one about the sour jar. I don't know if you remember that <laughs> poem, but it's a uh, burying yeah. the sour jar or, oh man, here I am trying read, to, read pa- it to para- me. Star- paraphrase to somebody's it. Yeah. poetry.
0: <laughs> I've got, a, I've actually got a few I want to read, but and look, this is, I promise this is not a plug. It is a plug, but it, this book, I, I, when I finished reading it about an hour ago, in my head, I literally know the three people I wanna buy this for. Like I'm just so I literally know who I'm giving this to this year. Like this is such a unique piece of storytelling and art that that will sit with you. Like I I can't recommend it enough. Like I didn't know what to get what I was getting into when shiny told me about this. <laughs> and oh, I'm just so glad I did. So I, I gotta read a few of these that I, I I kind of like quickly wrote them down. Yeah, please do. That's so nice to hear. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, of course, man. Just thank you. Uh okay, so here's I'm um, again, Shiny and Justin, I apologize for butchering, but I want to read three of the haikus. I don't even remember what page they were, but they're towards the end. And and, and I and I'm not doing it justice because the art goes with these so well. So here's the first one. Old ladies talking about the recession at the local thrift store. Again, it's the presentation of the words and where they are. I almost missed it the first time. Because I thought there was another page, but it's built into the sign. The haiku is yeah. Let me let me read another one. Uh, and I, this one, I know my my best friend Barun, who's zero waste, love this one. Plastic red sphere caps pen extra plastic for the Mariana. And then last but not least, this one is frameworthy. This is I am going to blow this up and frame it and put it in my my basement where all my books are. Weeding the shelves of unread books like old friendships no longer wanted. Dude, this this is this book is just something.
1: You Thank picked you. some good ones, too. I, I mean, just, I don't know if you ever used to watch uh, Mr. Show when it was on HBO.
0: Oh, the whole thing about Evergreen sketch comedies, that's what I was referring to, Mr. Show in the state, actually. <laughs> okay,
1: because he did one where he would uh, call up as a service, he would call blind people and describe Calvin and Hobbes to them. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, those three that you picked were like, as far as the art goes, those were three of the ones that, like, oh man, you picked some good ones. Those ones are cool. Um, so. They're all bangers, dude.
0: <laughs> They're uh, like, seriously. uh The one, there's one, and I'm, I'm gonna butcher it. I apologize again, Shani, but the one where, you know, I heard about someone that got pushed on the subway before. I read it. I already knew it was someone Asian. Like, you know, it's just like there was a New Yorker cover. I actually reached out to the artist about it. Like. There's just some real weight to it. The one where she's contrasting the protests in Asia to the coming home to the white nationalists. There's heavy shit. Yeah. I promise. I got to stop gushing. I <laughs> don't, don't have five hours for me to gush about this, man, but thank you and congratulations. Just on such, such a great piece of work. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's just like, I don't,
1: I don't know, man. Like I sat with a lot of these poems. Like some of them were really tough to like, cause you know, Sometimes it would take me a couple of days to get the art together for a poem and like just sitting with it and just that idea like I was talking about connection earlier like a lot of the really heavy stuff it just felt like you know you feel it and you kind of let it move through your body but it's like I also feel like that connection with Shani connection with people who like maybe a poem would remind me of somebody or you know or I might even be thinking about the person who's going to read these poems and it just for me, it was it like the the title "Less Desolate." Like the whole idea was just like we're all carrying this together, you know. And so, like, there is some heavy stuff in there. There's some kind of lighter stuff, and then there's stuff in there that just feels like you know, like just kind of a snapshot of like events and emotions, you know.
0: Yeah, there's um, you know, there's some there's a lot of specificity to kind of what's going on in this work. But there's a universality to it as well. Like, I, I think it kind of transcends beyond the pandemic, beyond being Asian, beyond Shinyi's kind of experiences that you're bringing to life. But it's deeply personal. It's so specific. And in that we can kind of all find ourselves in it. And, um, I think that's why it still sits with me. Again, I'm only one hour into having read this, but like, I, I think a lot of people will find themselves in it, which I think is. That's the best thing art can do for people. So, I got to ask Justin if we if we could wind back the clock back to that that broom closet where you're drawing. What would you tell him? Oh boy. Um what would I
1: tell him? Focus on your studies. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Like don't wait. There was a big part of me that I don't know. There was never okay, so there was never this part of me that felt like I needed permission to be an artist. I I just felt like growing up in Ohio, like everyone I knew was doing a zine or in a punk rock band or something like that. And like so it was very much like all of that always felt super accessible to me. I think that it was just the idea of like making it an actual career and monetizing it. I would just say, you know, start earlier, start now. Like don't there's no reason to wait. You will level up through the practice. You kind of have to just start where everybody starts. And that's just like, you know, you, you go for it. You focus on making the work good. And as long as that's your focus, the speed will come to you. Like, don't worry about if it's not happening fast enough. Just focus on the
0: quality and the speed will come. Justin, I, uh, first I want to have another longer conversation with you after that's but like we're almost out of time do you think you're ready for a speed route
1: sure yeah um and also um yeah dude i love talking comics and and i've read a lot of them so so anytime you want to talk comics oh have i
0: got another podcast for you a guest on very soon all right well first of all that was the wrong answer no one is ever ready for speed (laughs) rap
1: oh i'm sorry no
0: i'm not ready (laughs) so so justin uh what's one thing about you that no one expects?
1: Oh my gosh, I don't know. Uh some one thing about me that no one expects.
0: Oh, uh, I
1: got one. I'm a gas station attendant. There you go. Explain. So my my wife, her sister and I um run a uh Hampton Station, which is a cafe and gas station on Highway 20 in the middle of the Central Oregon Desert. We're 70 miles one way to Bend, which is your next gas going in that direction. Yeah. And we're 40 miles in the opposite way to Riley, which is your next gas stop in the other direction. And we are just kind of right here in the middle of nowhere. Highway 20 goes all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we see a lot of people going from Boise to Bend. Dude, if you or any of your listeners listeners are ever, you know, out here in Central Oregon... Uh, We have a ton of art in here. We're always bringing people through. We're cycling people through. Uh, My wife makes an amazing chicken pot pie.
0: I'm in. I'm in. Yeah,
1: there you go. Oh, and we sell comics too. We have a lot of
0: comics. (laughs) Yeah, it's really upsetting that you go to a grocery store or a gas station now and comics aren't there like they used to be, right? One hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I absolutely like I said. My mom used to work at the Stop and Go, and that was my favorite thing was going through and seeing all of those, you know. Back in the days when Spider-Man was trying to sell you hostess pie, man. Like I, I love reading. I would have never picked up Ghostwriter if it wasn't in the Stop and Go.
0: But I'm I'm guessing you probably have like Strangers in Paradise on your spin too. So. <laughs> what is a book or movie or not screw it, man? What's a comic with characters that you relate to? Oh boy. I,
1: I'm big on the X Men. Yeah. Like, I love the X Men. Um, just that, you know, it's just such a good metaphor for so many different things. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, all of those feelings. Um, feeling different, feeling accepted, found family, having superpowers that you don't really know about but you tap into later in life, you know, like all of that stuff just totally speaks to me. And of course, you know, I love the relationships. I love the the soap opera aspect of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. So are you more of a Logan, Scott, or a Gene then?
1: Oh, boy. Um, out of those three, I like Gene. No, no, you,
0: I'll, I'll give you all of them.
1: I'll- I, Storm is my favorite. Like, I think Storm is so cool. Like, yeah. I'm somebody who finds a lot of connection through nature. Yeah. And also, like, I don't know, like, the for me, X-Men is Chris Claremont. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. it. Even when she lost her powers, you know, yeah. there was a... That
0: was Punk Rock Storm. Punk Rock Storm.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the aesthetic, of course, is right up my alley. Yeah. But the idea that you can still be powerful and still be a leader and still be awesome without... That thing that gives you that superpower identity, like that to me, like, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being an explorer and being an artist who makes comics is just like, you don't have to do the one thing that you're, you've got the most strength in. Like, to me, learning is the thing, like skill acquisition is the thing. And like, looking for all those different ways you can kind of level up, you know, and, you know, all of that stuff builds. Yeah.
0: One of, I mean, I'm a diehard Weezer fan, but one of my favorite lines in mean, the garage is about Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler too because they are my two paperback.
1: Kitty Pride's cool too. I like um when they first brought her in, how she would have a different costume yeah. in basically every issue because, you know, she's a she's teenager. And she, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that kind of, like I love drawing fashion. I love drawing clothes. That's one thing that I would have changed about doing Less Desolate. And I told Shin this, I wish I would have done like a photo tour of your closet before we started drawing. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. What's your favorite mom dip? A mom dish? Like food that my mom makes? <laughs> sure. Uh boy, my mom used to make chicken and dumplings, which I liked pretty well. Um like I said, I told you my my wife makes um, chicken pot pie, chicken pot pie, which I yeah. love. But the one that she makes at home is chicken, leeks, and prunes, and it is so good. You had me till the, you had me till the prunes, but now I'm curious. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I know that it sounds a little weird, but like it is tasty. What's your least favorite? Uh, least favorite. Well, um, I have an allergy, so I. I mean, I love eggs in terms of like an idea. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one's that's an easy out. Yeah, you can't yeah. use allergies yeah, yeah, all yeah,
1: like yeah, religious Yeah, yeah no. Um, I'm pretty open with food, actually. Um, I've always kind of been of the mind that like if there's an ingredient that you don't like. There might be a way to make Well, you know what? Actually, I take it back. I lived in Hawaii for a little while and they eat that root. <laughs> what is it? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Bring the hate. Hey, oh, no, it, no, no. It's thing. nasty. It's nasty. And I think it's like a point of pride. Um, oh, man. I, I can't remember what it's called. It's just, <laughs> oh, boy. Somebody doesn't,
0: I mean, I, I <laughs> love all of these governments. Favorite
1: <laughs> part is this question for every guest.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't want to say, I don't think it's tarot. Um, but they've got some really bitter root that people in Hawaii love that I just can't get down with.
0: <laughs> Who is someone out there that you
1: would want to talk to on a podcast? Oh man, I I have an answer because I actually just spoke to my wife, but it's a really embarrassing answer and it's kind of out me as like being a different kind of nerd, but now I feel like obligated to tell you what it is. <laughs> I would want to talk to Arissa Cox, the host of Big Brother Canada while the season was going. Like said, I'll have I, our guilty pleasure. say right. more. Say yeah. more. Well, you know, um, I know that the writer's strike, like we're all happy that it's kind of, it feels like it's kind of coming to an end here. But personally, I love Big Brother. I think it's such a fun show. <laughs> and um, a lot of people don't know this, but I think Big Brother is like what, in 63 different countries. So they do one in Australia, they do one in Denmark, they do one in the Philippines and they all have like variations on the rules. But for my money, Big Brother Canada is the best version of Big Brother and their host is so into it and she's just like such a fun person to watch. You know, if you're into like a game show or reality show, you get invested in certain characters or whatever. I just think she'd be fun to talk to during the season so we could just really get into people's strategy and, and talk about what's going on.
0: Yeah. Well, Justin, last question. What does being a modern minority for you?
1: Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's always, for me, like we were saying earlier, like being biracial is not going to be the minority. And, from, and I feel like maybe it's not really any more than minority it's like you can be from the north and the south and you can be from the south and the north but you can also be from the north and the north you know like you get to have those things and be a part of that community um i don't know just everybody treat each other with respect and kindness like that's that's all that and it's just like you know I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I don't. I don't know.
0: You, you know what I love about you not knowing? It's uh the thoughtfulness. I, I think that if I if I could take one thing away from this entire conversation, other than um, your hatred of Hawaiian roots, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll get a lot of hate mail for that. Um, <laughs> there's a thoughtfulness in everything you do, and I, I think that's kind of the connective arc of how you approach work and art and life. And uh, I understand it now more now uh, that we've gotten to talk. I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I mean, I also think that's the quality that would make me a good juror. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't want jury duty, dude. Oh no, I do. I do. I want to be in that room. Re- I want to be the, the 12th angry man. Like
0: I, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Justin, uh thank you for not, not just the time in, in the conversation today, but just for putting great work out there. That means it's uh I really hope people pick this up because, uh, less desolate with me. And, and I just really appreciate it to you and Shani for bringing this to life.
1: Well, thank you. And I appreciate you saying that. And um, it's just been such an absolute pleasure to talk to you.
0: And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, mom at modmypod.com. You
1: can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you.
0: That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel, And I'm still Sharon Lee Toney. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon.